Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 311th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that gives all your specs multi-kicker. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, my friend, it is a busy week in Magic the Gathering. Tell us what we're talking about tonight. Tonight we've got uh, four segments. We're going to talk about uh, the weekend review for not just Magic Online, but Miracle of Miracles. We have an SCG 10K to talk about with the results. We've also got our uh, top movers in paper and top movers online. Then we're going to talk about uh, your and I picks, as well as a couple of uh, spicy uh, reader picks. And then our topic of the week, we've got uh, two things that have happened pretty recently. Uh, there's a kind of a, a little kerfluffle happening between uh, Wizards of the Coast and people who want to do NFTs and crypto. And then we also had uh, Secret Layer Street Fighter leaked out today. And that has some hotness. Lots to go through. So let's kick things off with a triple-decker metagame, uh, metagame week in review. And as you said, we are mixing both Magic Online here and Paper. We'll start off with the modern, modern premiere event that went down on February 14th. So that was e Sunday. Uh, no, it must have been the 13th because it's always one day uh, off from what Wizard... From what, from what Wizard says it was. So Amulet Titan won that one, and this is the first, to my uh, knowledge, major event won by a deck rocking Boseju who endures. Uh, this is one of the shells where people uh, predicted that Boseju would do uh, the most work um, because A, the deck runs tons of lands anyway, and uh, has plenty of reason to lean into the utility of being able to tutor up or otherwise make use of a land that can get rid of problematic uh, lands, artifacts, and enchantments on the other side of the board. And they ran three copies here. They also had two Cultivator Colossus for those that have Innistrad block specs sitting around. There's four Dryad of the Elysian Grove still in this shell, and they also run four Turn Timber Symbiosis, which is a past selection on this cast. I mean, what's not to love here? You've got uh, the synergies where you get to put Besaju into play with Primeval Titan along with a Bounce Land and get the Boseju immediately ready to fire off. It's hot. It's real hot. I love everything about this. Second place, we had Black-White Hammer Time with no uh, upgrades from Neon Dynasty. In third place, however, we had Blue-White Hammer Time, and they were rocking a copy of Lion Sash and a copy of the Reality Chip, both cards that were that made content creators lists as the top 10 cards from Neon Dynasty for modern 
um, good time to reflect back on my comments, I think, last week where I was talking about how I think this, this set is actually fairly underwhelming for Modern. And I think that most of the stuff that is going to see play is going to see sparse play. Even these legendary lands, other than Beseju, I think will be, you know, onesie twosie and decks here and there. And uh, and as rares are therefore going to get quite cheap. And I think even Beseju is wildly overpriced. Currently it's $40 or something on TCG Player heading into opening weekend. Um, I would imagine price pressure has to push it down to at least 20 to 25 this weekend. But I think this is the kind of card where you can just kick back and wait for a few months until it drifts lower and lower and lower and hopefully get in somewhere. I, I, w- I was saying it could get down as low as 5 to $10. And if it rests, you know, posts up at 12 or something and sits there for a good long time, then you'll probably know you're, you've are you hit the bottom and you can safely start specking. But I think it's going to take some time to rebound because a lot of Neon Dynasty is going to get opened. Vendors that we are partnered with all over the world have told us that this is one of the best-selling sets, if not the best-selling set of the last several years, which probably means it's one of the best-selling sets of all time, uh, and that it's outsold, for instance, Zendikar Rising, which had a fresh set of expeditions that people were very excited about, uh, not this fall, but last. So with all of that Neon Dynasty getting opened over and over and over again, and these being rares, I think the only version of Boseju I'm going to be keeping an eye on is the fancy foil versions. There are two premium versions, I believe, Extended Art and Glow. Uh, there is a, a Glow frame, yes. Yeah. So keeping an eye on how low that those get, the stuff that, that tends to come out of the collector booster boxes will not be as as opened down the road. What tends to happen with CBs is there's a massive flurry of CB cracking by vendors, pushing inventory out into the market. And then by six months later, you might still have set booster pallets being opened by gaming company and their their brethren on TCG Player, etc. But you won't have as much CB cracking going on uh, a lot of the time. Now, it's not impossible. We have seen uh, ZNR, uh, CB inventory lead to fresh singles appearing in the market six to 12 months out from release. So there's room for all of it to stall out behind major inventory walls. Um, but as far as Bethesda goes, regular copies, I, I, I plan to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a rare and a super highly open set, like you said. Be patient, people. And then stuff like Lion Sash and Reality Chip, I just don't believe is, is going to see enough play to matter. Uh, I think that that stuff has legs in multiple formats, though, uh, in EDH and in Standard, and there is some Standard play going on these days. So the combination of all of those might might make those rares, you know, expensive for a standard rare. Like it could be a three to six dollar card. Um, and it's again, you could be looking at the foil extended arts or fancy versions of those cards if you see enough, you know, three or four of in multiple shells across multiple formats, plus posting up good numbers on EDH rack, then you'll know it's time to move in. But we're gonna, you know, we can take an early look at some of those stats on EDH rack to see what's being played later in the cast. And then double back on that in the coming weeks to see where we stand. Uh, fourth place in the Modern Premiere event was Grixis Shadow, followed by Blue Red Murktide, Four Color Omnath Yorion, where they also ran two Baseju. And then probably the most interesting list out of this top eight was the a white-green Yorion Death and Taxes deck. Definitely the first time I've seen this shell. Um, I'm going to read this all out, even though it's a lot, because Yorion decks are long. 
We have three Archon of Ameria out of Zendikar Rising. This makes uh, makes it so players can only cast one spell each turn and non-basic lands your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. Very annoying in this format. Four Esper Sentinel, four Flicker Wisp, four Leonin Arbiter. Uh, this deck ran four Besaju. And the reason they ran four Besaju was because of things like Leonin Arbiter. Besaju's chief disadvantage is that it allows your opponent not just to go get a basic land, but to get a land of a specific basic type, which means they can go get both uh, Shocklands and Triomes with a Besaju. But if you have a Lean and Arbiter in play, they have to pay mana to go do that, and they may be tapped out, or they may not have to, or they may need the two for something else. And you can time it in such a way as to get maximum value, which is very nice. Um, they also had four Noble Hierarch, a Reminap, Reminap Excavator, which allows you, them to play Besaju from the Graveyard, uh, four Skyclave Apparition, four Solitude, four Stoneforge Mystic, and a whole package for that. So a Batter Skull, a Caldra Complete, a Maul of the Skull Skyclaves, and a Sword of Fire and Ice, which is a fairly standard package for Stoneforge Mystic decks these days. And then four Thalia Garden, Guardian of Thraben, providing more of that D&T taxing pressure. So they've got to make tough choices about how to allocate resources. For Ethervile to drop these 36 creatures in play. And then they're running, for the first time I've seen in quite some time, for Oath of Nisa in Modern, in a deck that's not running any Planeswalkers. This is a legendary enchantment from Oath of the Gatewatch that when it enters the battlefield, it basically has kind of a Ponder-esque type effect. You get to look at the top three cards of your library. You can reveal a creature, land, or Planeswalker card from among them, put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And then you can spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast Planeswalker spells, which is totally irrelevant here because they don't have any. Um, they also ran out of new cards from Neon Dynasty, and a, a Ganjo, Seed of the Empire, and Alliance Ash. I do love seeing a uh, an 80-card list running the four Aether Vials. Like, that is the height of just optimism and awesomeness all put together. It's really, really awesome to see. Um... I noticed that a couple of lists had the Dranith Magistrate in the sideboard, and that's a card I'm going to, you know, try and pay a little attention to. I was really surprised, though, that if you've got the four-pack of Leon and Arbiter, you didn't have the usual, like, uh, you do have the four Ghost Quarter, which is just unfair with that Remnap Excavator, but they're only having two Path to Exile in the sideboard, and I found that to be a, a surprising choice. When When you got 80 cards, you couldn't find space for any instance in there yeah it's a little odd uh especially because they have basically no no early interaction right they the first thing they can right they can start to disrupt with is if they get to skyclave apparition uh not entirely well true. they got the solitude yeah they have the four solitude so they can they can discard our exile uh one of the many white cards in their hand um to interact as they need to up front so i guess that explains it um so then 8th place was blue-white hammer time without the Lion Sash and Reality Chip. In some cases, this stuff is pretty early. Like there are, going to, there are going to be players that show up in these lists on opening week where they just don't have the cards yet. Um, now, the Modern Challenge, uh, the day before that, this was on the Saturday, was won by Grix's Shadow. Fairly straightforward build there. Blue-white hammer time, again with Lion Sash, Reality Chip, and Naganjo in 2nd. Amulet Titan in third, this time two Besaju and one Cultivator Colossus instead of three and two in the other list. 
four color Omnath, Yorion in fourth, black red mid range, uh, deck with Turoks and Croxes and so forth. And then the most two very interesting lists in this challenge. Uh, one of them was the set sixth place list, which was Coco Heliod. Haven't seen that in a while. Um, the usual thing with Heliod Sun Crowned and stuff that creates infinite life and what have you, and four collected companies. Uh, one Besaju in that deck, four Skyclave Apparition again. Uh, worth taking another look at the foil extended arts for that card because it's, it's popping up in enough places and also sees EDH play. In fact, it was cast against me in a Pro Trader EDH game on the weekend. Uh, <laughs> and then Humans in seventh was quite the build. This is one of those like shells that doesn't get sh- shaken up all that often. They kind of have onesie twosies here and there. Uh, I think the last thing we saw that was upgraded to the list was the appearance of Adeline, Resplendent Cathard of Midnight Hunt. Uh, right, and the uh, some of them play Turok as well. Yeah, and providing some go-wide pressure. And indeed, they do have the three Adeline here and the Turok. But they also uh, found room for the new secluded courtyard, which is the new tribal land uh, of note. And then they had three Upriser Renegade, which is a red human for one that gets plus two plus zero for each modified creature you control when it attacks. Uh, uh, is it plus one plus one or no plus two plus plus two plus two. Let me just double check. It's just plus two plus zero, right? Yeah. Plus two. It's a one three though. So it can be, if, if you have two other modified creatures, it's a five, three attacking for two, not one. Let me start fresh. Two mana human samurai, one, three. Gets plus two, plus zero for each other modified creature you control, not when it attacks, just straight up. So the deal here is, because this deck, this list tends to run uh, four Thalia's Lieutenant, that can put plus one, plus one counters on other humans, and four Champion of the Parish, which gets a plus one, plus one counter when another human enters the battlefield, you have the ability to attack with this as a 5-3 pretty easily for 2 mana, which is pretty nice. Especially since you can Ether Vial it in as a 5-3, block a Ragavan or something, and then go to town. Well, the uh, the real, like, and the, the cherry on top is the Abzan Falconer, which, uh, you know, nothing's getting outlasted in here, but uh, every creature with a 1-1 counter on it has flying, so now all of a sudden your entire team is flying and they're dead. Because your Uprise or Renegade is, you know, at a 5 or a 7. Yeah, the Absan Falconer giving flying is also very cute. I mean, I have a million of these sitting around in Russian. <laughs> or, or have thrown out this year. I can't recall which. Um, but yeah. So then the 8th place deck, this is just wild, wild stuff here. This is like three decks were fell off a table at a Grand Prix and just got mixed up. And the players walked away with 60 random cards. You have four Dragon's Rage Channeler, four Ragavan, Lightning Bolts and Unholy Heats, Expressive Iterations, and Prismatic Endings. So it sounds like almost like a Jeskai aggro deck at that point. But then you've also got an Ox of Agonis, three Emery Lurker of the Lock, three Season Pyromancer. So now you're some kind of mid-range value brew involving artifacts. And indeed, you do have a Chromatic Star, three Grinding Station, uh, sorry, Chromatic Star, four Mishra's Bauble, three Mox Amber. But then you're also a combo deck because you have four Underworld Breach. And you're also a Grinding Station deck because you have three Grinding Station and a Thassa's Oracle. 
I mean, the, the breach into grinding grinding station with when then you play, play breach. But play breach means that uh, underworld breach is just constant, right? It's not when it comes into play. It's just everything in there has escape for one turn. Right. So then all of your zero mana artifacts are gaining you are grinding you through and you're just going to Thassa's Oracle to win the game, right? But it's real cute that you can this premise that I'm curious whether anyone else will start exploring using Breach to bring back all the one drop aggro threats. Because I haven't seen that anywhere before, but that actually there's a certain level of brilliance to that. In a format where Dragon's Rage Chandelier is a one drop, where Ragavan is a one drop, where Esper Sentinel is a one drop, and then Breach could just let you cast all of those out of your graveyard for one apiece. So say on turn four or five, you're at five mana, they've cleared out your threats, you go ahead and Breach, cast Ragavan DRC to get back on the board, and then and, and you're not doing it to combo off per se, you're just using it to recover and, and rebuild pressure. Um, There's, you know, a time-honored tradition of combining two uh, powerful combos or two powerful combo decks, uh, like you get Dark Depths plus uh, Thopter Sword. You know, this is just like you're leading off with Value Town on the Dragon Range Channelers, the Ragavans, the Season Pyromancers, and the Emery Package, and then you drop the Grinding Station and the Breach, and like you said, it's just like, well, I guess I lost this game because I didn't know what the hell was going on. This is wild stuff. I haven't seen a list anything like this in the last several months. What do you do if you mill the Thassa's Oracle, though? Breach can let Breach lets you cast it. Oh, Breach lets you cast it. I'm sorry. I, mean, I, I, I just I keep overlooking how good Breach is. Is the problem? So you got it because it just lets you recast the Mishra's Bobble over and over, or recast the Mox Amber over and over. Yeah, yeah, that seems good. I like it. Season Pyromancer, kind of a weird one in here, but it it uh, can get... Basically, you can grind it into the graveyard and exile it to make tokens for value, or you Keep can your use turn it, going. Yeah, or you can use it to stock the graveyard to set up the breach. There, there's a lot going on here, and I'm, I'm very curious whether this deck will have any staying power or it'll be a one-time thing, because it looks very interesting to me. Um, if it had one as opposed to finishing eight, I think there would have been uh, more hype going on, but worth keeping an eye on. So there's so many specs <laughs> in this deck <laughs> being, being jammed together. Whenever I see a deck like this, I'm like, hmm, yes, that would be great if that would finish first multiple times. Uh, so the other thing that went on was the first SEG con, and there are three planned for this winter and spring, I think one per month kind of thing, uh, went down in Philadelphia. So this is one of the first major paper magic events to go down since the start of the COVID pandemic. There was a big uh, event in Vegas in the summer, I believe. And since then, there have been a smattering of events here and there, but nothing quite this large. And SCG won, uh, ran multiple $10,000 tournaments uh, over the weekend. They had two 10K modern tournaments in paper and a legacy tournament in paper and they may have had some sealed or draft things going on as well i wasn't tracking that as closely um so it's worth us going over these paper results but there is an asterisk neon dynasty is already out on magic online but it's not in paper until this weekend so none of these lists are running things like boseju or whatever so it doesn't pr provide a whole lot of insight into where we're headed so much as it signals what people might have had built and ready to go 
so this, we're only going to look at one of the two 10Ks. Uh, this one was won by four-color Yorion control. Second place was Living End. Burn was in third. Blue-Red Murktide in fourth and fifth. Shardless Rhinos in sixth. Jund Company in seventh. Notable because that's not just new Jund. That's like, a, this is a whole different thing. This is, uh, the Jund Company deck is four Bloodgast, four Ignoble Hierarch, four Mayhem Devil, four Season Pyromancer, two Croxa, four Ragavan, four Grist the Hunger Tide. So you've got the, myth, the largely forgotten Mythic Planeswalker from MH2 showing up as a four of in a top eight paper, major top eight paper tournament. Uh, Renin six, four Goblin Bombardment, four Collected Company, and three Unearth. So this is this looks a lot like a Corvold deck <laughs> from the, from standard upgraded for modern. It does. Uh, what's really cute here is the uh, Collected Company will get you the Grist. Because it counts as an insect creature when it's in your deck. Right. Uh, so then that gives you, uh, you know, a new... You immediately can make a token, and you're not going to, like... It's not a token... It's not the infinite uh, mill kind of grist combo. It's just, like, value, because you can also unearth for the grist to get it back if you want more things to sack to Goblin Bombardment. It's so so awesome look at this there's a lot there's there's a lot of cuteness coming going on here and then eighth place was grixis death shadow um so i'm gonna i'm much more interested to see what the next you know a month from now when the neon dynasty meta adjustments have settled and we go back to paper uh those are going to be very interesting lists to review so we'll, we'll probably spend good part of segment one in a, a month or so going over the next set of lists now, moving on over to segment two, top paper movers of the week. A lot of this is related to, by the looks of it, stuff that people are building in EDH related to Neon Dynasty. So we've got Mesa Enchantress, uh, Secret Layers going 5 to $6. That's just a 20% gain, but I would imagine it'll pick up some steam. That's a, a fairly popular Secret Layer, and there's a lot of enchantment hype going on. We've got Flagstones of Tracare from Ultimate Masters going from $5 to $6. That's, again, just 20%, but it's a signal that I think is going to continue rising because these boom-bust decks in Modern are pretty fun to play. There's been a lot of creator content on YouTube and Twitch around those decks, and I think you know there's probably hundreds to thousands of people that are interested in building them. Femerith Enchantress out of Visions is a reserveless card um, that says you draw a card when enchantment goes to the graveyard. And went from 20 to 25 this week. I would imagine people are looking at putting that in their Go Shintai decks. And there's also just a general enchant. There's a lot of different enchantments related cards going on. We talked about Sithis Harvest Hand last week. And uh, Enchantress has just gotten tons and tons of new tools this year. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for the, the next phase of this, if you're uh, into cards dying, I believe... I want to look up, um, I used to have this deck back when I was still building casual decks. Is it still called what I remember? It is true. Faith Healer um, is a one in a white, one one out of Urza Saga. There's no foils. But you sack an enchantment and you gain life equal to its casting cost. And with any of the enchantments that like to come back, you can just do some ridiculous things with the silly card. So have fun with that, kids. We've got Parhelion the second from War of the Spark. Foils going from $17 to $26. We already saw gains on that last week. And I've, I put up my Russian foil 
copy this weekend, so we'll see if that sells into vehicles hype. That's the blue-white vehicles commander. I think it's Katori um, that's driving most of that. Ninja of the Deep Hours, Time Spiral Remastered OBFs. I think that was my pick last week, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I called it 25 to 45, and it went 28 to 44. So I guess that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, and now the market will test that plateau, and we'll see if it's real. Um, that's largely in the back of, I think, a ton of people are going to build Saturo. Right. And as probably one of the top three commanders coming out of Neon Dynasty, I started building it this weekend instead of Yuriko, which is a deck I had some cards put aside for. But as, as I looked at the two of them, uh, I think that Yuriko is a different kind of fun. And the nice thing is they can go in each other's decks pretty easily because Yuriko wants uh, high casting cost stuff to be on top of your deck. And Satoru wants to have a bunch of Blightsteel, Colossi, and so forth in your deck because he gets lets you ninjutsu them into play for four mana. So you build the deck as a bunch of unblockable 1-1s one and Bitter Blossom tokens and stuff like that and uh, Thieving Sky uh, Skydivers and stealing soul rings and then you ninjutsu that back into play swap it with a blightsteel colossus and kill one of the players at the t table instantly and then you cast a yuriko the next turn and blah 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 it's looking like it can be built as a fairly nasty deck fairly easily and there's a lot of fun technical play so i'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to playing it and you're certainly going to run a ninja of the deep hours in there um, it's also a deck that's very easy to make beautiful so from a collector's corner perspective, you can go all Japanese cards. You can <laughs> you can lean in heavily on the Japanese uh, alt art lands from Neon Dynasty, uh, which I suspect are, are going to be very popular, especially in blue and black. The blue and black ones are the nicest, which is a, a very nice coincidence. And uh, you can also use the new Ninja Showcase frames from Neon Dynasty that are going to, you know, the foils you're going to get out of collector booster boxes. Um, there, there's a lot of ways that this, this deck is probably going to aesthetically going to end up being one of the nicest looking commander decks that you can table. There's also a bunch of uh, Japanese alt art mystical archives things that you can slide into that deck, like Demonic Tutor and Time Warp and whatever. Um, so you, you can get you can get pretty close to, to making it all fancy Japanese. Conqueror's Galleon, buy a box promo, again, probably on the back of Katori. Um, foils going from 950 to 15, 58% uh, gains. You've got Honden of Life's Web from Champions of Kamigawa, foils going from 17 to 30. That's Go Shintai, the new uh, Shrine Commander, five-color Shrine Commander driving that. You've got Maul Drifter, that's uh, number 374 out of the secret layers, going from non-foils, going from 5 to $9, and probably a combination of modern and EDH elements. Uh, certainly you're going to put Maul Drifters in your Yuriko and Satoru decks, because you get to cast it. Draw then, more cards. <laughs> yeah, draw more cards, then bounce it with Ninjutsu, play it again, draw more cards. Um, so it fits well there, but it's just generally a good card. And it's been showing up in Elementals-themed Yorion Omnath brews in Modern for a while. All those. Although I think that variant of Yorion Omnath has faded a bit versus the more value-oriented one. Then we've got Crack the Earth Foils out of Betrayers of Kamigawa, 12 to 22 on those, 83% gains. That's that boom-bust uh, Modern deck with Flagstones of Trocare and Crack the Earth and uh, so on and so forth. 
And then Ishin is showing up on EDH Rec as the most built commander of the week, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just check that. Top commanders, past week. Uh, yeah, looks like Ishin Two Heavens is one. The Mardu 3-4 human samurai that says, if a creature attacking causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So Fervent Charge says that when your creatures attack, they get what, plus two, plus two? That's correct. So. It's an enchantment for one in uh, one in the three colors. And it looks like the foils are up to 30 or 40 now on TCG. And I, I went back and looked. I had sold one of those to Abu Games for $10 on a buy list like in 2017. So between then and now, it's basically quadded. So when, when you've got overboarder foils sitting around and you're thinking about sending them in, unless you really need the money, maybe just sit on those for longer because they always just seem to drift up as something relevant makes them playable. Uh, finally, capping our top paper movers list, we've got Honden of Seeing Wins, Foils Head of Champions of Kamigawa, 17 to 40. That's $23 or 135% gains on the back of Goshintai. And those were foil uncommons that you pulled out of your draft chaff back in the day and probably just have been sitting around in your collection binder forever. So go ahead and pull those out and sell them while the hype is, hype is good. And... Make those yeah, I mean, ancient boxes of Kamigawa block cheaper. You know, that's exactly what it is. The, the other shrines were always a popular thing, and now it's got the commander, and it's got the interest. So what's not to love? If you've got the foil sitting around, go for it. Segment uh, three, top paper, sorry, top magic online movers of the week. We've got Hengegate Pathway out of Keldheim going from four and a bit to... 4.14 ticks to 8.5 tickets, 106% gains there on Strong Standard and Pioneer play across multiple archetypes. Got Light Paws, Emperor's Voice came out around 1 tick, but has since gone to 2.5. There's an Aura's deck running around driving that, I think. And then Kappa Cannoneer is a Neon Dynasty Commander card. And because the decks are not published on... Uh, Magic Online, you can get these at a treasure chest, I believe, and the drop rate is low enough on these that they have spiked from 11 tickets to 64, which is one of the most excellent shorts I have ever seen on that platform. Um, I mean, if you can manage to borrow one of these from somewhere or you open one in a treasure chest, you definitely want to short it or sell it right away because this card has no business being $60. Did you know what it did before you looked it up? Do you want to know? I've seen it. I just don't like. It just has nothing to do with its price. <laughs> right. I, I'm trying to figure out like what deck is trying to play a six mana improvising turtle warrior. No, 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 they're not. This is it's purely a supply side play. There's just none of these around. So right. So does somebody? This is just for people who like have to have it in their commander deck. No, this is just this is just the card is this expensive because the sell, the people on that run the bots and so forth just can't get their hands on any. As soon as there's any significant inventory change on these, the price will drop out. Yeah. Okay. One of our pro traders like opened one of these in a treasure chest earlier this afternoon, and everybody was just screaming, "Sell, sell, sell!" <laughs> uh, it's that gremlins bit. Moving on to cards to watch. Got some juicy stuff to discuss here this week. All right. So, Miosians are commander, are neck cards, Neon Dynasty commander cards, but they are not found 
in foil in the commander decks, correct? They're not found in the commander decks, period. They are exclusive to the set booster boxes. Um, I believe you can get non-foils in the collector boosters. As extended arts. Correct. Yes. I think. Yes. But regular regular copies exist in the deck lists, for the neck deck lists? Or are they purely exclusive to set boosters in the regular frame as foils? Uh, I think as foils, they're only available in the set booster. And it, uh, I'm, I th I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's what the the deal is. That set boosters can pull a regular frame foil, but not an extended art foil. You can only get the extended art in the collector booster. That I'm 100 on. Yeah, but you can only hit the pack a foil of the regular version in a set booster. I don't think these are in the 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 lists, are they? Or is that what you were asking me? That's what I was asking you. Uh, no, I don't believe they are, because like there, there's no space for a black commander, a black card in either of the commander decks. Gotcha. So, the bottom line is this: the foil versions of these are not in collector booster boxes, which makes a big deal because a lot of the foils that get pretty cheap on modest play end up that way because of how many foils are present in the collector booster boxes that are basically just throw-ins against the most premium cards that you can find there. But in this case, because you can only find it in set booster boxes, they are going to be a lot harder to find overall. The I got sent stats by one of our vendors in Europe. Let me just bring that up. So they opened nine foil rare commander exclusives in I think it was 64 set boxes, if I'm not mistaken something like that, and they opened six foil mythic commander exclusives. That's a fairly low drop rate. You need to open a lot of product to find these. So I'm not super confident in this card in terms of its overall playability. Miosian of Grim Betrayal is an eight mana five two legendary creature spirit. Enters the battlefield with an indestructible counter on it if you cast it from your hand so that you can't just entomb and reanimate it in EDH. You remove the indestructible counter from it Put onto the battlefield under your control all creature cards and all graveyards that were put there from anywhere this turn. So the cute thing about this is it's in play with an indestructible counter on it. You wrath or damnation or dam or whatever uh, and clear the board. But this thing stays behind because it's indestructible. Then you remove the counter from it and all those creatures you just wrathed away come back into play under your side. It's expensive. That's the kind of thing commander players live for. Yeah, it's expensive, but it's probably better overall than expropriate as long as you've got a sweeper to go with it. Uh, and these are currently $10 on TCG Player. They may get even cheaper this weekend. Uh, I suspect this is too cheap given how hard they are to pull. But it's basically a new rarity, so it's hard to say. So my confidence level on this is not super high. I'm going to give it a 7 but I think it's very possible that these go 10 to 20, or if it gets below 10, whatever it gets down to, 6, 7, 8, 10, whatever, I suspect they go back up to about 20 in a year, because these are just going to be tough to find. And a lot of them are not going to flow onto TCG Player. Now, if nobody plays this card, 
then it will the price will still languish. But if it sees right. even modest EDH rec stats, you know, shows up in six thousand decks in the first year or something, which I think is could be possible. Four to six thousand seems very reasonable for the card. Uh, then I suspect it will get there. So definitely not my top selection of the week, but I think it's something that people need to have their eye on because it's all the same argument can be made uh, for the Goshintai pack foils because they can also be found as a non-foil extended art in the uh, in the collector booster boxes. But the foils, again, as a foil mythic, can only be found in the set booster boxes. And it's you're going to have to go through a lot of boxes to find one. So they're currently going for about 80, with only 8 listings so far, uh, for the pack right. foils. And these could get down to 40 or 50 this weekend, I would imagine. But it's going oh, to be... I, I, really? You think it would go that way? I, I would be surprised if it broke 60. Like, if it's as, if it if you're getting one mythic and there's three mythics in this particular grouping, right? You have... Let me Three possible see. mythics. Yeah, three possible mythics. So uh, that means if they pulled six out of 60 boxes, that means you're getting one mythic about every 10 boxes. That means it takes 30 set booster boxes to get one foil Goshintai of Life's Origin. And that's a that's quite a ratio. I would be surprised if it broke through 50. Because uh, there's only, uh, what, eight, like you said, eight listings and none of them under $80. So I, um, I think that the pressure from, like, the chase for this particular card, especially if it dips a little bit and then comes back up i think that's going to be a, a real like you got a hundred dollar a chance of opening a hundred dollar card in a set booster box that costs you like 110 so um the the added value from that's going to be pretty high and i think it's going to push a lot of the cards down i like picking up these foils of the the commander only cards i'm just not sure i'm ready to do that yet I want, I want to see how low these get. The extended arts will be plentiful. That's the thing. They're currently at 45. Yes. They're going to get pushed down way, way lower than that. Because we like shiny things more than we like the extended art. Nobody is really surprised mm. by that. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, it might be split 50-50 in terms of demand. Bro. If they were the same price. Because some people just some people don't build don't build their commander decks foil because they don't like them to curl. And there are also people that just, just prefer the extended art over a pack foil there's also this just perception that pack foils are cheap and easy to find these days and this is one of those rare cases this, this is one of those rare cases where the, this is not the case and i think a lot of players are going to be surprised and not understand why this card is this expensive um it also needs to be a big deal as a commander like it needs to be one of the top three or four neon dynasty related commanders to hold the price and not be just a supply side play um but anyway, I don't think there's any question of that. But anyway, whatever the cheapest these get down to this weekend, I'm going to snap off a couple just to see. Because here's the thing about this card. They're not going to reprint this for a long time. That's a very good point. Like where and for what purpose are they going to print a no. Shrine Commander again? It could be years and years and years before this ever sees a reprint. And these will these get just quietly drift up over the next three years and you're going to look at them one day and be like that's a 200 hundred dollar card and there are four <laughs> listings because you basically no one ever buys it. it probably sells once a month 
to a Goshintai player that has the time and money to justify going after the rarest version of this. So, all that being considered, I think this is a interesting card to watch. I'm not convinced it's a fantastic pickup yet, because again, it's a fresh rarity, and those have fooled us in the past. But something to watch this weekend, and I, I, I'm going to experiment with both of these, Myojins at the rare level and the Goshintai at the mythic level, snap off a few and then track prices later so that when they do this again, because they are going to do this again, <clears throat> we'll have a better sense of where they're going to go and what the, in- the entry is supposed to be. We're also seeing that this is how they are making sure people are super interested in buying set boosters and not just ignoring set boosters in favor of collector boosters. They are putting, they're deliberately putting this level of chase card in there. You know, they could have put extended art foils in the same slot as everything else in a collector booster, or even like you have a chance of extended art, uh, non-foil plus extended art foil, something like that. They just made the deliberate choice that only the set booster box get any kind of commander only, uh, shiny cards. And that's a, uh, that's a choice that I think is, is meant to make us buy more set booster boxes. And it looks like it's going to work based on where the prices are. Well, the thing is, though, I don't think that that narrative is expressed in their marketing well. And so unless you listen to a cast like this, you're not going to know anything about it. And I, and therefore, I don't think it's going to drive box sales. Um, it may drive single sales from a speculation vendor perspective and help uh, prop up the EV of boxes. But I'm not convinced that it's going to have a major marketing impact um, because they're just not explaining it well. I mean... They don't explain anything well. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, we hoped from Eldrain forward they were going to get their shit together in terms of the messaging. And instead, the collecting insert set articles have just gotten more and more dense. You don't have to explain that to me, man. Yeah. I got to parse that every time to do the math on these things. All right. I like your, next, we... I like your selection here better uh, than the <laughs> Risky Myosian. So tell me about it. All right. Well, uh,. Un- unsurprisingly, uh, blue players love taking extra turns, and the best card for that is Time Warp. Uh, I'm picking the Japanese uh, alternate art from the Mystic Archive in non-foil, which you can get for about $22. There's a, a lot of choices for a no, Time Warp. In- no, I think these are $38. Are they? Yeah. Oh, I had, the old, uh, I had the old price on the sheet. My bad. Uh, you get the... Uh, the archive versions in non-foil for around 38. Uh, I'm thinking they're going to go up to 80, which they were at when they, they first came out. Um, this is a, a great card to have because, you know, it's a mythic from the mystical archive. You know, it doesn't exile itself like most of the new cards do that take an extra turn. But this is also like the best card to exile with Chun-Li. And we're going to talk about what Chun-Li does when we get to the segment four. But uh, keep in mind that uh, she's all about instants, and you get to replay them and just cast them over and over again. It doesn't matter if you're recasting the commander. Uh, you're. It, I would listen if you wanted to talk about the uh, the non-foils of the Mystic Archive in English. Those are only $11. That might have a greater uh, growth percentage. Like you go 11 to, you know, 35. But this, going, this doubling back up to where it was seems like a, a pretty good bet to me. 
there's a few things worth noting here. These have drifted down all year, but kind of bounced off a low 30s number in mid-November and have been slowly drifting up since. The sales history on TCG suggests that they sell onesie twosie copies a day, and we've only got 20 listings left and no major walls. They are this is the foil set or draft booster Japanese draft uh, foil <laughs> set or draft versions of this sell in Japan to buy list at a thousand dollars, and we've sent multiple copies over for Pro Traders via our Japanese buy listing program. Um, for them to cash out on those. So we know that there is strong Japanese demand. And then more importantly, close to home in North America, without even getting involved in all that, Card Kingdom is currently offering 25 cash, 32.50 credit. So if you're picking these up in the 35 to $38 range from various vendors, you don't have a lot of risk because I don't see that buy list offer dropping anytime soon. This is the sexiest art available for the card, period. And that's never going to change. Nobody's really opening Strixhaven product anymore. So these are going to drift up whether or not Chun-Li provides the impetus. There are always going to be Jeskai, Grixis, etc. Commander reasons for this to be moving. And it's just a big deal card in on EDH Rec anyway. Like Time Warp is a massive staple in the format. 16, 17,000 decks registered all? running it. That's surprising. I thought it would have been much higher than that. Okay. I mean, there there are definitely there are play groups that are not fond of extra turns, right? So well, nobody nobody is because all you're going to do is sit around and watch somebody have all the fun, and that is its own version of fun. And I, I respect everybody's different definition of fun, especially when I'm having all of it. <laughs> yeah. So I like this one. I think we're we're at the right place in terms of the price plat slowly bouncing off its plat its its low. Uh, it's a very popular card. Chun Li might pr- provide impetus, and the supply side of things looks looks like a, a solid ramp is forming. So, a good selection there. Um, my next pick here is the Wandering Emperor foil showcase version. So this is the samurai foil from Neon Dynasty. Draft set versions of this are being posted in Japan this week at two thousand dollars. Now, I'm only talking about in North America on TCG Player, etc. They do not differentiate between collector booster versions and draft set booster versions. However, I went ahead and snapped some of these off at around the $70 mark, $70 to $80 mark earlier this week on the premise that when I did that with Kojima Sorens, the last time something like this was going on, uh, because Soren is a thousand draft set version, uh, Japanese draft set versions of Soren over in Japan are also a thousand dollar postcard. Uh, the uh, and sorry, I, I don't think I mentioned earlier the Wandering Emperors that are going for two thousand are the foil Japanese showcase version, but I expect that the English draft set version will probably buy list in the two to three hundred range within the year. So my premise for ordering early when I believe that a lot of vendors will have been opening set booster boxes in advance of collector booster boxes, is that I might have a chance, as I did with Soren, of out of every, say, 10 copies I order, I might get one draft set booster version, which will put me significantly ahead in terms of the overall value of the purchase. Now, even if that doesn't happen, uh, I snapped off a Wandering Emperor copy on TCG before the cast at $55. 
And currently, I think the next lowest price is something like 80. But I would imagine that heading into opening weekend, we will probably see prices get pushed down again. And I think that that $60 entry point or even lower could be a very reasonable place to be on the premise that you were going to buy list them to Japan down the road over $100. So I'm calling this to go 60 to 120 in 12 months or more. Uh, on the basis that this card may be underestimated in North America and extremely popular in Japan. So I think this is something on the lines of um, you made a ridiculous amount of money on uh, arbitrage with soul rings in the masterpiece going from Europe to here. And I think the whole like set booster, draft booster versus collector booster uh, foiling differences and how Japan and Japanese players will really pay a premium for that and american players aren't really in the know and this is a an excellent example of like a knowledge gap that we want people to know about and if you're feeling like you don't have the ability to to get this to japan to to cash in on it all you have to do is be part of the discord and we make it ridiculously easy now, the, um, the other thing to keep in mind here, though, is that with something like Vorinclex, Vorinclex was available around the same price back with Keltine like a year ago. Um, wow, that's hilarious. That feels like five years ago, but yeah, that was a year ago. It, it does feel that and, way, yeah. And Vorinclex got up to 250 or so before collapsing yes. back to about 125, 130. So if the Wandering Emperor is roughly the same rarity overall, the the odds that it will end up being a $100 plus card seem pretty good. Uh, and indeed, those $80 copies I was talking about from earlier today seem to have been been drying up and the price is getting pushed back over, over $100 again. <clears throat> so this whole thing is going to oscillate as vendors struggle to figure out what they're supposed to be pricing these at, given that the card, the Wandering Emperor, at best looks like it's going to see some standard play and occasionally DH play. There seems yeah. like an opportunity here. Now, the other couple cards that are in a similar boat is, of course, Kaito. Um, I bought, I've got six or seven Kaito borderless foils on order now, and I think the they got down to that like seventy or eighty dollar price point. I think I bought multiple copies on TCG Player around sixty nine dollars um, last week, and now I think the lowest is closer to. Let me just see. Closest lowest priced copy on tcg player is currently 133 so <laughs> there have already been some potentially very lucrative pre-order opportunities there's also you and i have been talking about how the etched foil kaito jizuki ninja frame is actually the rarest version right uh, i don't think one is uh wait let me go back and look at the number of variants uh, from the math article and I'd be able to tell you. Well, my argument is this. The foil etched is is limited to the CBs. All other versions right. of Kaito can be found in set and draft booster boxes, albeit at a very low drop rate. But that still means that there's more copies of those in the wild than there is of the etched because the etch is only in the CBs. And if we believe that the foil etched, foil borderless, uh, and pack foil versions are all equally likely in the CBs, then the foil etch should be the rarest. And yet, 
the foil etched was posted up, I think, at $500 or something earlier this week on TCG, which was just, you know, placeholder fishing expedition price points. And then some $200 copies filtered in and some 150s and some 90s. And then there was some $50 copies earlier today. Those seem to have been snapped off. And now there's $75 copies at the minimum. I've stayed clear of this one so far because I'm not confident that the third best version of the card, even if it's a supply side play, is the one worth chasing. But it's certainly a card I'm going to watch. Yeah, if you have one version that's uh, noticeably more expensive than the other and the difference is like traditional foil versus etched foil, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And then, of course, the other card to be talking about that's chased from this set is the Phyrexian Vorinclex, where Vorinclex... Jingitaxius. Sorry, yeah, Jingitaxis, uh, Progress Tyrant Phyrexian. There are a vendor, the lowest-priced copies on TCG were 170 up until this afternoon, and now there's a vendor that has three copies at 100 bucks. Pretty tempting, since Vorinclex bent since Vorinclex bounced off 130, right? And I and I and I would argue Jinjitaxis is going to be a much bigger deal in EDH than Vorinclex was. Vorinclex is limited to counters matters and attracts a planeswalker style decks for the most part in terms of its actual play pattern outside of the collectability. Jinjitaxis is just a f- super busted commander slash super busted in the 99. Like the the command zone went over the various ways you can abuse this card on one of their YouTube uh, postings this week, and it's pretty nasty. <laughs> there are a bunch of very silly things you can do when you clone this card or blink it into, blink it in and out of existence, because the whole thing where it its abilities trigger only once each turn can be reset with blinking. So you can ghostly flicker, for instance, this in one of your lands in the midst of copying something and uh, and copy one of your things again. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, there's Jinjitize is a very, very good magic card. And I'm curious whether Japan and Europe will underprice it because the Phyrexian thing might be sexier in North America than it is overseas. Um and I'm curious whether the cross arbitrage will end up being Jinjitaxis in one direction and Kaito and the Wandering Emperor in the other. Okay. Um, to to clarify one point, uh, whether you're talk if you're talking traditional foil or foil etched, Jinjitaxis, um, each one of those is twice as rare, based on the the, the information that we have, as Phyrexian foil Vorinclex was. Now, if you don't care which ver- which foil you get, they're approximately equal. It's uh, it it's one out of five forty four uh, for either one of those Frexian foils, the etched or the traditional. So it's going to take a lot of collector boosters to get there, and uh, I feel pretty confident in saying that like any Frexian foil popping up at a uh, hundred or less is a pretty safe buy. We're also going to have collector booster vendor cracking data from a mass cracking in Europe uh, by the time we record next week. So I should, oh, be, thank getting, should be getting it to tomorrow. So we can use that to audit the statements you've made in your article from last week, exploring the re- relative drop rates of various premium cards in the set and give people a better idea of what stuff looks like it's very much worth chasing. 
boy, I can't wait to look at a whole bunch of numbers and figure out if I have to do all the math again. I'm a teacher. I give the homework, sir. I don't do the homework. <laughs> so anyway, Wandering Emperor, I think, is underestimated in North America, but we'll see what happens this weekend. I could very easily see vendors cracking this card in the Midwest and saying, this card sucks or it's medium. Don't see the demand profile for it. What the heck? It's going for $140 in TCG. I'm going to post mine at $120 and then $110 and then $90 and then $80 and then $70 and undercutting themselves down to the point where it'll be irresistible to buy some. So something to keep an eye on and then you can make your own call this weekend and see where we end up. All right. I'm for that. And uh, this, this next one is contentious with me, so let's go through it. Oh, is it now? Well, uh, I think that uh, the silver screen foils are all things that we should probably prepare to move in on. I recognize that there's a certain risk because it was, you know, there might be pallets of it stuck somewhere. But the, the foil drop rate has been, there haven't been a lot opened and the foils are like some of the more chase versions. Uh, today I'm picking Morbid Opportunist. Uh, right now you get it around $25 on TCG and there's like three copies at that price. It's already in 9,000 EDH decks. The old, fo the regular foils are like four bucks. And uh, I think this one's got an easy chance to double up just based on the demand and the fact that this is one of the best, this is the best version you can get. This is the rarest. This is the chase one. Uh, I, I pulled the trigger on a bunch of uh, uh, silver screen foils for uh, my zombie deck and uh, it stings that these cards are so expensive, but I think that this is a uh, a unique thing that is going to be the financial bright spot from an otherwise uh, silly-ass decision on Wizards' part to re-release a couple of sets with the same art, just in black and white. Now, you, te you tell me why, uh, why this is not a good idea. I don't think it's a bad idea. I just think people need to be aware of the dynamics here. The... It's not that these are so, so rare, so much as that it's they have not been opened. The product exists. Now, overseas, Wizards tends to burn product that doesn't sell, like literally burn it, and then some of it gets stolen and sold through back channels. In North America, Wizards product will end up getting negotiated from distributors to big vendor, big online crackers like the gaming company that operate on TCG Player and eBay as extremely cheap, below like wholesaler distributor cost. They're going to get a deal on some pallets at some point here. And when they see what the... E and they're an EV-driven operation. They will crack whatever is profitable to crack, and they only need a relatively slim margin to do it because they're a very hands-off operation. Their business model, now repeated by several other similar vendors, is to just take pallets of product, crack it, sort it, or, un or maybe they don't even sort it. They just uh, sip it to uh, a TCG player who sorts it and... and puts it into the direct warehouse for sale and they get a relatively narrow margin. So they're kind of like the grocery store operation volume, grocery store slash volume operation of the industry where they're doing huge numbers in volume, relatively small margins, but on a much bigger base. Whereas for instance, my personal model is the complete opposite. I have a much smaller base, but my margins are closing in on hundred percent a year. So the, in that model, if they decide that these foils are getting so expensive and the inventory is so shallow that it's worth cracking a, a pallet, 
then a bunch of this is going to show up and there'll be there won't be that many vendors selling it at that point but their walls will be large because these foils aren't that rare in the context of the boxes they're they're just rare because nobody is cracking the boxes so it's a supply side play in the purest sense of the matter like morbid opportunist foils are what three or four dollars right now correct pack foils and so the lowest price here is 20 it's basically 16 plus four dollars shipping you got a couple at 20 and then like there's only a total of seven copies for sale so in terms of can you get in on a 20 dollars copy this week and hope to flip it in two weeks for 40 yes that that's doable that could happen and it could be one of the shortest timeline picks we make all year but (laughs) if the supply gap fills in no one is going to these foils are not fancy looking enough to justify premium prices and we actually could have spent almost all of the top paper mover section looking at double feature uh silver screen foils because all of them have gone up this week because of this supply side play I didn't do. I didn't include any of them because we a we talked. We gave a couple examples last week and mentioned what was going on, and b I'm not confident that these price plateaus are real because they haven't really been tested by the market so much as like I think 98 percent of the the sales on these are a smattering of collectors that are buying stuff that they think they're going to want for cubes and decks and so forth, and the rest of it is speculation from vendors and speculators, and in a situation like that. That's where you can you're where the majority of purchases are to people that want to resale. That's where you can see price plateaus collapse and fall back in the other direction if inventory pressure reverses. So, all of that being the case, if you're a believer that this is going to be stay a product that nobody cracks, or you just think you can get in and out before operations like TGC end up cracking it, then the play is real, and and I think given enough time you will end up right on the key cards, your necro dualities, your morbid opportunists and so forth that are going to be like big EDH players. There will be a small subset of, you know, collector focused players that are willing to to just want the rarest version, like you said. And from that perspective, I can get behind these going, you know, whatever it is, 25 to 50. If the supply side of things holds up. So I would, I would put an asterisk beside the pick because it's conditional on certain things playing out in a certain way. But sure. If, but if you end up right, then I, think, then I think your numbers are correct. All right. Well, if I'm, I like how you summarize that is if you're right, then you're right. And I, I can live with that. I can live with that. If you're right about the reasons. You're right that there, there might end up being a, a, uh, a big insertion of new product into the the context. Um, they're they're also going to look at how frequently these sell and decide if it's going to be worth it. That's a, a lot to calculate, and we we just don't know. And based on what I do know at the moment, I like picking up silver screen foils. I can see why you're more hesitant about it. I haven't bought any. I haven't bought any yet, but lots of pro traders have bought some. I'm I'm telling you, I I like it. I've seen I've got a couple of them and they, I like how they look personally so uh, that's why I'm I'm getting more I'm exactly the kind of person you said I'm I am the collector who likes like the, I've put like five of them in my zombie deck and I'm I'm so happy it's ridiculous All right. so um I I really like your next pick actually I think your next pick is the best one on the board this week 
So we mentioned earlier that the most built commander of the week uh, so far is Ishin Two Heavens is one. The commander, the Mardu commander that cares about on attack triggers and basically doubles them. So one of the sexiest things you can put in that deck is Atali the Primal Storm, a card that has been printed into oblivion. It has shown up in multiple products, including being a promo card that showed up in random uh, promo decks and stuff. You could get at Walmart for a long while, which is often the death knell of a potential spec. Um, I'm pretty sure that foils of this card, pack foils of this card, were called on cast a couple years ago and never really got anywhere because of all the reprints. However, the fanciest version of this card that exists is the Time Spiral Remastered Old Border Foil. And despite some people thinking that those things uh, were a failure, they that nothing could be further from the truth, especially for the ones that are the most popular. The foils of this card are down to 16 listings on TCG Player. Started about $34. Under pressure, for, pressure from, say, 50 to 100 players wanted, wanting to put an old border foil of this in their Ishin deck. And keep in mind, this is just a popular EDH card, period. It's in 43,000 decks on EDH Rec. And it's in 70% of Ishin decks built so far. And the reason is that when Atali attacks, you exile the top card of each player's library. Then you may cast any number of spells from among those cards without paying their mana costs. So when you swing with this thing with Ishin on the board, you get to cast six spells for free, two each from each of your opponents. I mean, that's just living, God the, bless. That's just living the commander dream. So it really is with 16 listings left I, and a steep ramp. I could easily see these going 35 to 60 and it could, it could be higher. These could end up being 80 to hundred dollar cards further down the road. Um, and there is no resupply possibility on time spiral remastered. Unlike double feature. Yeah. Um, it's a, a card that's a popular commander in its own right. Uh, it's a, amazing thing to do in these uh ishin decks and uh this is the sweetest version of it you know you get your old border foil so uh like i said i think this is the the safe the best pick that out of all the ones that we came up with this week so uh bravo and i'm i'm building an ishin deck and i'm upset that i i didn't notice atali in the cards that i need to put together for it gotcha Alrighty, let's see here. My next selection is going to be not a magic card. It's going to be Crown of Seeds from the game Flesh and Blood out of the Tales of Aria booster boxes, which is not the current set, Everfest, that just came out, but the one before that. This is a Cold Foil Legendary, so the rarest of the Cold Foils other than uh, no, I think it's. I think legendary is the is the rarest thing they have, and these are. It's a crucial piece of equipment for Bravo Sh Showstopper, I believe. One of the new. Um, I can't hundred percent remember if it's Bravo or, or one of the others from Everfest, but pretty sure it's Bravo, and they dominated the recent tournament, basically pivoting the meta in a major way, and. These were about 140 last week. Now they're drying up. There's eight listings left on TCG Player. Just one copy at 175, and then it goes to 205 and above. I think that these are going to go two to 300 in the next six weeks, and you can get in and out pretty quickly on the back of that. 
the risk profile here is that we're still in COVID. There aren't that many uh, flesh and blood tournaments going on. The market has retreated from the extremely hot high point it was in on this game six months ago. Um, the whole thing could be a house of cards or it could be a durable game that lasts three to five years and then collapses or it could go 20 years and we just don't see it yet. Um, these cold, fo- cold foils uh, for popular uh heroes tend to be able to hold a three to five hundred dollar plus price point it's getting harder and harder because they're printing more and more as they go on but for instance the crater fist that i got out of a uh, booster box last year is like nine hundred dollars plus or something um and so crown of seeds by all accounts from the fab side of our discord is a very good card in a very good deck that seems to be about to see a dramatic increase in play and they're drying up. So 200 to 300 crown of seeds, cold foil. Uh, I don't know anything about flesh and blood, but uh, I, I trust your uh, math on this. Uh, you ready to talk about our pro, our pro trader pick? It's anonymous because I can't remember who <laughs> submitted it. I have a vague it, memory and keep in mind, like I get like <laughs> 10, to 20, get a lot. 10 to 20 selections on this front per week. And I have to parse them very quickly, pick a good one and then move on. So I tend to forget all of the rest. But sometimes there's a seed in the back of my mind that somebody mentioned something, and I just can't remember the conver- the details of the conversation. But I'm pretty sure somebody tried to advance the topic of Bolus's Citadel promo foils. These are the ones that were available through the WPN network this summer. They are old border foils of a card that is in 57,000 EDH rec decks. 11% of all black decks run this enchantment uh, artifact. Is it an artifact enchantment? or just an No, artifact? it's just an artifact. Just an artifact, yeah. Um and so you can currently get these for about $5 on TCG Player. And there's pl- plenty-ish of them lying around. I think we're looking at... Let me just see total... Retroframe, Bolus Citadel is down to 102 listings total. But if we filter by near mint, we drop to 62 listings... And there are some walls from vendors that are pretty large, 40 copies here, 30 copies there, because some vendors got big packets of these that they didn't give out in stores. They just resold online. So it's going to take some time for these to filter out. And so I would say that this is probably a 12 plus month selection. And I think you're really looking at this as like a buy list play for a double up two years down the road or something. So if you're looking for quick flips, I don't think this is it. But if you want a copy for yourself, you may as well get in now because I don't think it's going to get any lower. And if you want, uh, you're looking for a spec, as long as you're willing to hold for a while, I think these are going to do very well. It's a very popular card. The old border foil version of it is the best looking version. And the distribution model means that, yeah, there might be, might seem like there's a lot of these lying around right now, but that can't last forever because there's no resupply on them. So it's going to drain steadily from here. Yeah, the um, there was a whole cycle of these along with uh, Fabled Passage, right? So I think all of these are solid pickups, and especially like fifty-seven thousand EDH deck EDH decks is a ridiculous number, and it enables a bazillion different combos. You can do all kinds of broken things with it, uh, and you can get it for four and a half bucks, like sold. Just uh, buy a stack. Put them away, and in a year when you're buy listing them for double what you paid, uh, just think of us and uh, make sure you renew your membership. 
one of the things that is nice here is that CK is pretty confident on these. They're already offering about even on cash versus your lowest posted price on TCG Player. So there are there's like a, a wall of twenty plus these on TCG Player at four fifty US right now, and Card Kingdom offers that much in cash. You can actually arbitrage direct credit if you have a solid credit out that doesn't create bleed against lowest possible price um, because they're offering 585 credits. So you could buy the 450 copies, ship them in for 585, and then if you find something that you think is underpriced versus its current or near-term market, you could pull a little quick switch arbitrage play here. And I think that because it backs the play with, with very close to zero risk, there, you may as well go ahead and grab a little stack of these. Good job, Anonymous Pro Trader. Uh, remind us who you are in the yeah, we'll, comments, we'll would you? We'll get you your $25 gift certificate from our lovely sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc. I actually forgot to do our little media uh, post-segment 2 bumper, so I may as well do that now. Now is as good a time as any to remind you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. customer rewards program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon, Finance 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles in assorted minis. Head on over to Cool Stuff Inc. Dot com today to build your loyalty and save big and that brings us on to our weekly topics the first one is magic the gathering crypto wars we won't linger on this too long it's just kind of a hilarious story there's this crypto organization <laughs> that tried to start a nfts thing with magic ip not because they had permission from wizards of the coast or hasbro to do it just because they thought that the legalities of it allowed them to do it uh, without any endorsement from the company. And I think that this is worth flagging and briefly discussing because this is this is going to play out repeatedly over the next couple of years where you're going to have crypto bro teams that think they found a loophole in the intellectual property laws and strike out to stake ownership over very well-protected intellectual property <laughs> with very expensive lawyers that cannot wait to sharpen their teeth um, on their nonsense. And apparently Hasbro sent them a cease and desist, asserting their rights to the intellectual property and de declining the, uh, the team's right to generate any NFTs with said property. Um, and there was quotes from the team where they were talking about how eventually they would have so much value inside their system that they would end up buying the Magic brand from Hasbro, and they would be the future of Magic. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so wait a second, wait a second. There, let me, let me see if I understand this, because... Uh, I remember reading about NFTs and deciding um, I did not want to buy uh, those. So what you what you just said is that these guys said, I don't need to own the copyrights or the trademarks for the images and the stuff of Magic, but I can sell these NFTs of Magic cards for enough money that I can buy Wizards outright? Yes. Like the, I mean, this the, is, wow! Just this is the problem. Who's going to buy it all? That's what that's what the question is always going to come down to. Like, who the hell is going to buy this uh, copyrighted image of Chandra 
that you're like, no, 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 it's the NFT. You own the NFT and that's it. And then you're just like, and how do I get the money? Like, no, no, you paid me the money. That's where the money goes. You, you own a JPEG that has to be hosted on a server indefinitely or you lose access to it and everybody can just screenshot it anyway. It's it's and and, and it's available everywhere else, including Gatherer and every database that has magic cards, including MTG price. It's just the whole thing is just fucking ridiculous. And the idea that you could make that they don't understand the inverse relationship between how much money you're making on somebody else's intellectual property and the odds you will get to keep that money. <laughs> like the more successful they are doesn't get them closer to buying Hasbro. It gets them closer to being sued so successfully that they are penniless for the rest of their existence. I just want the 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 contact information for the people who they think would buy the NFTs because those are the people we need to like I will just unload my entire spec box to these people. If they're willing to believe that the the NFTs on unowned IPs are available to them, like I can convince them much more easily that uh you know, I've got this stack of 200 copies of Yogmoss Vile offering that I've just been languishing in my spec box for two years, and I can easily talk them into buying those off of me. So just get me some contact information, and I'm good to go. I mean, talk about being out of touch with reality. The magic Twitter community and social media community in general is so hostile to crypto and the premise of potentially forthcoming Hasbro NFTs, which Hasbro, keep in mind, Hasbro has asserted that they also may have some ridiculous project forthcoming. Because, because remember, everybody saw projects like, because there are some completely vaporware, silly projects going on in crypto. I mean, not some, most. Inclu like, I got paid a few years back through the agency to put together a proposal for a new cryptocurrency where they just threw a bunch of keywords at us. And we generated a proposal to a point based on what they'd given us. And then we were like, okay, fill in the blanks. What is actually going on here? What do you have? <laughs> what, what have you built? And how is it different? And they couldn't answer a single question because the reality was they didn't even have a tech team. And I'm like, let me get this straight. You're a cryptocurrency company out raising money and you don't even have your first programmer yet. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, we're, we're out. Thanks very much for paying us to generate a phantom proposal for a nothingness. And so much of that is going on in the industry. And, but there are also some extremely successful NFT projects that have been embraced by the communities that they face and have made hundreds of millions of dollars. So for instance, NBA has NBA Top Shots, which is like digital booster packs via an app on your, on your phone. And you're trying to, you have to get into a line, like a digital queue on a certain day to even get access to them. And if you get in, you're mostly going to get like some random NBA player making a normal jumper that's not of any particular renown. And you're hoping you're going to open Michael Jordan beating Cleveland in final seconds in 1988 or whatever. So those projects exist and make have made enough money and been proven to be commercially viable that I'm not surprised Hasbro is looking at that and, and doing their usual thing where they try to like follow behind on, on business slash cultural trends by about three to five years. And I'm sure they will cough up something ridiculous down the road. 
But the fact that some random organization thinks that they can inter- like get in the way of that and somehow set up some kind of roadblock based on loopholes is just so, so funny. Well, that was... Uh... That was good for uh, some dunking on people on Twitter this week. But uh, today we got the... Uh, I'm sorry, was there anything else you wanted to talk about with, with the uh, crypto? Cause... Nope, we're, we're good all there. Right. That's, it's gotten all the attention it deserves. Good. Um, something that is going to get a lot more attention is the Secret Lair Street Fighter, which uh, is... Like, how official is this picture of the eight of them? It's releasing... Like, are we... The, the idea, what I saw in a Japanese, okay, so Japanese Twitter account posts the Street Fighter uh, pictures, cards, last night, overnight, North American time, and then promptly deletes it because they, they probably were trying to schedule the tweet and messed up the scheduling or something. And so the cards went live before they were supposed to. They got picked up by various social media quarters, ended up on Reddit, uh, ended up in our Discord, ended up, Star City Games ran an article about them this afternoon. So it got the, the cats out of the bag. So that's why we're okay talking about it. Like we're not, we would never have advanced this. And our, our standard policy on leaks is that if it's going to ruin somebody's spoiler season and it's not publicly available elsewhere, then we will not publicly address it. But once the cat's out of the bag, cat's out of the bag. So are these cards real? They look very real to me because they look they pretty much look real. They look pretty much exactly like what I would expect to get out of this. And we already knew that Secret Lair Time Street Fighter was announced a while back. And then they started sending their social media influencer list, these little Street Fighter kits this week. And there was another announcement from a Japanese Twitter account, Magic Twitter account, about save the date for the 19th of February. So the the assumption here is we're only a few days ahead of the curve here. It's the 15th today while we're recording as the leaks were circulating. And it looks like they're going to go live on the 19th. Um, as part of a, a super drop where this will be one of several drops available. Um, Street Fighter is a very major video game property. I'm sure anybody listening to this knows that um, and has either played the game or at least is aware of its existence. Street Fighter 2 stand-up coin ops were a big part of my grade 10 experience. <laughs> so, and, and there have been many versions of the game since then that have been played a major part in uh, fighting gamer lives. And they went ahead and chose the characters here that are beloved from the original versions of the franchise. So I think this secret layer is going to do very, very well. Not the least reason of which is that they've given us a bunch of cards here that are actually interesting to play. More interesting than the Walking Dead commanders they tried to give us and the uh, Stranger Stranger Things, where you had a couple of interesting cards, you know, Rick and Seven and uh the mind flare or whatever it's called but the land is really great from the the stranger things secret layer too but i would argue that this is the best of the bunch so far on the externalized ip and surprisingly they didn't just reskin existing magic cards here they went ahead and gave us uh eight new commanders new commanders that some of which can also go in the 99 and other relevant decks. So we may as well just go ahead and dive in here. I think the most important one, the card that is mostly like mo- likely to get built the most as a commander, is Chun-Li Countless Kicks. One blue-white legendary creature human soldier 
multi-kicker white or blue. So you can pay white or blue as many times as you want on top of her base cost of three. When she enters the battlefield, you exile up to X target instant cards from your graveyard, where X is the number of times Chun-Li was kicked. Put a kick counter on each of them. Then she has a keyword lightning kick. Whenever Chun-Li attacks, copy each exiled card you own with a kick counter on it. You may cast the copies. So your baseline here is you pay you play her for four. You're probably never going to play her for three. You're going right. to play, play her for four. She's a three, three for four. And your path to exile that's sitting in the graveyard has a kick counter on it. And every time she attacks, you path. So she's clearing and, She's clearing the best blocker out of the way and getting in. It's important to note that you get to cast the copies of the kick counter cards, but you do have to pay the mana costs. Yeah, so it's going to be better with cheaper spells. Well, I also, I, one of the things that struck me is that they almost deliberately made her not Jeskai. Because I think if you add red to the mix, your options expand. Oh well, like you know, just throwing bolts around and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you get you get you get cheap, to recast all the X spells. Cheap, dangerous cards. So this looks. But like they a couldn't very... make her Jeskai. I'm sorry. Yeah, they couldn't make her Jeskai because Guile was going to be red, white, and blue from the get go. So clearly, you know that that's what's up there. Well, I mean, there's a lot of cute fan service here, right? Because Chun Li's color scheme, the classic color scheme, is blue, white. As you said, Guile is like the American soldier, so he gets the red, white, and blue casting cost. Um, But yeah, anyway, Chun-Li, great looking card. It's going to be a fun build. uh, Likely to be very popular. And we'll go back to the top of the list here. We've got E-Honda, four double white, legendary creature, human warrior, Sumo Spirit. As long as it's your turn, each creature assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. And then 100 hand slap. Whenever E-Honda Sumo Champion attacks, up to 100 target creatures get plus zero plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of cards in your hand. And so because of his first ability, they actually are getting plus X plus X. So you're looking to go, you want to go. He's a six mana seven, seven. So your ideal world here is you're somehow generating a ton of tokens that have huge butts. And are going so they're zero five tokens or something, and they're going to attack as five fives anyway. And you're going to have four cards in your hand and make them all nine nines. God bless. And he attacks as a seven seven because he's a zero seven. I mean, it just goes right into every uh, Arcady Saboth deck. Uh, you could play him as the commander on your own. He goes right into ninety nine. Who's the who's the who's the tree folk commander that? Doran. Doran, yeah, the siege tree or whatever. Yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, I think this is the second card where something talks about the 99 of something. There was some uh, monstrosity card that had something about the 99. hundred-handed uh, one out of Theros. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a fun one. Um, but I, I love that uh, both Ken and Ryu are uh, red-white cards. So uh, Ken, Ryu is a world warrior, two and a white, two, four, with training. Because, you know, he doesn't give up and he, he's always looking to improve. And, Tra- training, uh, he... training puts a plus one plus one counter on him if he attacks with something bigger than him. Correct, something with a re- greater power. Got it. So then uh, he's got the Hadouken, which is four and a red. I think that's a four. Yeah, four, four and a red, red untap, and the untap, which is a symbol we haven't seen in the longest time, 
and you discard a card, he deals damage equal to his power to any target, and if you deal excess damage to a creature this way, you draw a card. So you get to attack, get the training bonus, because he learned something new, and then he fireballs something away, and if it's small enough, or his power was big enough, you get the card back. It's so good. Oh, it's ridiculous. It, it it's a fun card more than anything, right? Like the yes, we're it is. It's not service. like overpowered, but like everybody the, is going to want to table this one way or the other. So just so they can go, I do good. God, yeah, I was going to do that exact thing right now, and you stole it from me, and I'm never going to forgive you. <laughs> so I'm then we have got, to go download the sound effect right now. I'm not sure this is a commander that people are going to like build and play for a long time but i think a lot of people will want to own it as a collectible it'll be fun to throw into the 99 of various decks where where it just kind of functions as a kind of a clunky car card draw engine slash targeting mechanism that you you're willing to give up the slot of a better card for just so you can play by you in your deck now can burning brawler similar kind of thing one double red legendary creature human warrior with prowess for red or white, you can give him first strike until end of turn, and then Shuriken. Whenever Ken deals combat damage, you may cast a sorcery spell from your hand with mana value less than or equal to the damage without paying its mana cost. So you want to make him big. He's a four-two, by the way. And then you want to you get to cast sorceries at instant speed, uh, starting at four mana, which is pretty fun. God bless. I love it. I love that Ken and Ryu have. Uh opposite power toughness going on it's just there's so many like little flavor nods in here Mm -hmm. that just like sing to the 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 nostalgia that's going on in my soul as opposed to the stranger things cards where right by, by and large their abilities just didn't make sense like when they when they finally hit us with secret lair final fantasy 7 like, just put me in a coma for a week, okay? Because I, I won't be able to handle that. I, I just will not. See, the Final it's... Fantasy TCG is still ongoing, so that's unlikely. But if it was to stop, then that that could be a potential. Uh, Blanca Ferocious Friend. Three red-green. Legendary creature. Human Beast Warrior. Rolling Attack. Blanca Ferocious Fiend has Trample as long as you've cast three or more spells this turn. Electric Thunder. Whenever Blanca becomes the target of a spell, he gets plus two, plus two until end of turn and deals two damage to each opponent. So this is kind of like a feather style commander because you want to have a whole bunch of cheap cantrips and you want to make him indestructible. Give him plus two, plus two. He's plus zero, plus, plus one, plus zero. He's fighting something. He's doing this, that, and the other. And he's repeatedly doing damage to each opponent as you do this. And then you probably want to have ways to recurse those cards and cast them again. You're going to play Underworld Breach, exile a bunch of that shit, do it all over again. And you're trying to just smash him through over and over again until the table is bruised and bloody. I mean, like, you've got uh, fun, like, enchantment recursion you could do. You know, you cast Rancor, you've got some way to sacrifice an enchantment and just, like... Boom, 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 and you're getting two damage to each opponent, and it's going to be two more to the person you eventually attack to death. Uh, this is great. I love that they called him a friend. He's not just, like, ferocious monster. No, man, he's your friend. 
and he's gonna he's gonna zap the bejesus out of you. It's so good. Oh my god. I'm so, smiling so wide over here. So then we get Dalsium Pliable Pacifist, two green white legendary creature human monk with reach. He's got teleport. I think that's what that keyword is. Dalsim Pliable yes. Pacifist has hexproof until he's attacking. Unless he's attacking. So that's very nice on a commander because that solves a lot of problems without you needing to get a lightning greaves in play and so forth. So always worth paying attention to that. And whenever a creature you control with reach attacks, untap it and it can't be blocked by creatures with greater power this combat. So it makes your reach creatures unblockable and by bigger creatures. And then force punch. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card so it's Toski. This yep. is well, this... Toski is better because it's every creature that that hits you draw a card. This you're going to get a maximum of uh, one card, three right, cards. Right. Well, but... if you hit everybody, you draw three, I believe. Oh, right, right, right. Because it's per player. So if you, if you... I, I'm pretty sure that's how that works. We'll get a we'll get a check on that. Somebody will absolutely this, correct us when this we're is, wrong. This is a fun card. I don't think it's going to be an ultra popular commander. I think in the decks that care about this kind of thing, it's an auto include. Uh, and it's certainly fun. Like when Command Zone does the inevitable Street Fighter episode, which I would imagine will launch next week or something. Uh, somebody will play this just because building or building this deck. See, one of the things I think people outside Commander don't get is that the big add to the whole hobby by embracing Commander is getting to go through the process of building unique decks that are unique puzzles to solve. Whereas when you approach something like Modern, you've, you can go you know early on in your process of addressing a, a constructed format other than EDH, competitive constructed, <clears throat> you may think to yourself, oh, I'm going to outthink the meta and bring my thing to the table. Then you go to... L- FNM, you get smashed. You go home and go, or maybe I'm just going to net deck because that's actually the only way I'm going to table anything that matters. And then you end up making small tweaks to the deck as you get to know it over time. Whereas with this, you can go, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to look up how decks like Dalsim are built on EDH Rec. I'm just going to go through my collection and start pulling shit out that looks correct until I find stuff that looks fun to me. And this is exactly that kind of build where you're like, none of your other commanders that you probably got on hand will will be built the same way as this card. So you get to do you get to pull out a bunch of useless cards into your collection, put them to work, and table something amusing for your friends. It's just wins across the board. Now moving on to the last two: Guile Sonic Soldier, one uh, America, legendary creature, human soldier. Whenever Guile Sonic Soldier enters the battlefield or attacks, put a charge counter on him or remove one from him. When you remove a counter this way, choose one. Sonic Boom, Guile, Sonic Soldier deals X damage to any target. Sorry, not X, question mark damage to any target, because I can't you can't see in the picture how much damage it is. But I'm going to guess it's three. I'm guessing four. Okay. Like, to match with his power. Oh, yeah, it could be four. And then something, something, Guile gains something and indestructible and until end of turn. Maybe it's first strike. That's a pretty good guess. Uh, maybe reach because that stupid upside down kick oh, always yeah, yeah, yeah. gets you Ken, out of the air. Yeah, yeah. Ken already has first strike, and his other thing is the upside down kick. So yeah, it's probably reach and indestructible until end of turn or something. And then he's a four four. This is fine. Uh, yeah, more of a this... role player than a commander, I think. 
fun uh, proliferate stuff to do. Uh, it's going to make... Uh, what's the card from Mirrodin that moves charge count... That move, remove a counter from something to put a charge counter on something? Uh, I forget the card. Pa- uh, power Conduit. Power, power Conduit? Yeah. I tried yeah. to make that work with Urza Saga and Modern. It was pretty fun. Yeah, it's a, a card that they, they haven't done that effect really again. But there's also a lot of uh, other like neat things you can do with multiplying the counters and doing cool stuff. So I, I like it. And, you know, the only thing that, that bothers me, I know that it would be against Wizards rules to, to put mana symbols in different orders. But if they had done this red, white and blue, <laughs> they should have this one time. That's they should funny. have this one time, you know? Yeah. Uh, the last one is uh, the last one is Zangief, the red cyclone for two Jund. He's got seven power, but we can't quite see his toughness. He's also a human warrior. Uh, He must be blocked if able. And he's got iron muscle as long as it's your turn. Zangief has indestructible. Always nice. And then the spinning pile driver. Whenever Zangief deals damage to a creature, if that creature was dealt uh, excess damage this turn, that creature's controller sacrifices a non-creature, non-land permanent. So if you chump block Zangief, he makes you pay with something else. And the art here is just phenomenal. He's got the bear and the headlock. Like, oh, it's so good. All of this is so good. This is so funny because you we can call out the beta lure as a spec. You're, you're going to throw a lure on Zangief back from 1994 and send him in against some tokens and make them sack all their stuff. Uh, I don't know that that would work because like number you have to sacrifice non-land non-creature so you got to have like artifacts enchantments planeswalkers that you want them to get rid of which is great like yeah, don't but, get me wrong but they, well, you're, you're just going to clear their mana rocks and their smothering yeah. tithes and their rhystic studies no but it only works with uh excess damage and if they have enough to soak it all up you won't get any excess damage no 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 because if you lure you get to choose how to assign damage oh is yeah. that how? It, yeah. Okay. When you when a, when a bunch of creatures block. That's right. You do get you, to choose how you, to assign damage. You decide how to assign the damage, so you get to decide oh, which creatures have. Never access. mind. That's amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. Gross. Good so, job. Yeah. Lure effects are going to be fun <laughs> with this guy, and this one does look like a buildable commander that people will build because it's fun as 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 it looks. Can be. Like, yeah. yeah. So unless you just get to like you know talk in a Russian accent the whole time and. Here's here's the piece that I suspect pulls it all together. They've do- already done oh. a good job. This is a good release, but there's going to be a bonus card, right? So who's the? Bonus uh, it's got to be uh, uh, a fireball, right? No, no, no. I think it's I think it's bison. You think it's bison? Uh, I, and, I would like Sagat, but you're probably right. And, and if they're really smart, the bonus card is five color. I don't know how you justify bison as five color, or whether there's some other Street Fighter character that might work better. Uh, I can't remember. Somebody was talking about whether there was a Street Fighter character that can use all the other characters' moves. If that exists, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know the that. lore that well, so I can't remember for sure. But if there's a, I don't remember it from Street Fighter Two, for instance. But maybe there's something from further down the line. Um, bottom line: if they provide a five color commander here, and you get to play all of these characters in the same deck in just one big jumbled mess, that's terrible and also hilarious and. People will do it because it'll just be so fun to do. I would a thousand percent be here for Bison being like, what, red, black with like some uh, unusual activated ability that dips into white and blue and green. You know, like 
white, blue, he does his um, spinning thing, whatever that was called. And then for green, he does, he gains reach because he can knock stuff out. I don't know. The missing combo, like the missing color combination is blue-black. Right. Out of this set. So. But Bison has a big old red costume, so I don't don't think you can do. Sure, but, but Zangief is the red cyclone, clearly all red. Russian themed, and they made him two Jund. So Bison dude is could... wearing like one square inch of clothing. Okay, like yes, it was red, but well, yeah, his but... color was chest hair. <laughs> okay, but as a Russian character, clearly red was the association. Just like Giles is red, white, and blue. Now the thing is, Bison could be blue, black, or uh, Grixis. But I mean, if they don't give us a five color commander for this, people are just going to build it under Kenrith, right? And and just build a big old mess. Let's see, they're all humans, so you could get away with, like, uh, almost all of them are warriors, so you could uh, slap it into, um, what's her bucket, the five-color warrior. Did, did Morphon uh, get banned, or was that a fever dream? No, Morphon did not get banned. Morphon's seven mana. Yeah, no. Why would Morphon get banned? Because it was too good of a commander. I'm pretty sure it is banned. What? No. Let me just check that. Maybe I'm... That doesn't seem possible. Morphon the Boundless. No, not banned. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Anyway, you can just build this as Morphon. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good default for just about everything you'd want to do. Kenrith is an option. Uh, I like that you could go Warrior for six of these. Oh, I know what I was thinking of. It's, it's Golos that got banned. Yeah, Golos got the the Ever Eleven Hellband on him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bottom line: Street Fighter Secret Layer probably comes out on Friday. It'll probably be available for a month. I suspect this one will be very popular. I think it's going to sell a ton of copies as well. So. I was about to say, like, do you would you because it's going to be such a nostalgia appeal? Does that mean you're less likely to buy it because no. so many people are going to? Uh, well, th- that worked out very well for the Phyrexian Predators release. Well, that but, that but... was really goosed by the. Uh, by the the backwards card no 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 the fire no the phyrexian praetors was really goosed uh we didn't know about that card till after the fact um or till very late in the process it was goosed by the fact that they were foil phyrexian praetors um that's true too these are commanders they are not cards that all easily slip into other decks and they are not cards with proven track records but they are street fighter so i think it's going to sell very very well um and that probably just adds some time on to how long it takes to make money on it but it it's also possible that i'm just wrong it could just be that this doubles up the weekend after release (laughs) because it's street fighter and and it's actually a good job excellent good execution they're very cool collectible it might pull in some of the video game crowd that doesn't care about magic um and they might not hear about it till later I think that's always the the driving force of Secret Lair is like the people who forgot about it or didn't know in the first place. Now there's eight cards here, so I would guess that these are forty nine ninety nine, not thirty nine ninety nine. That seems foil, like a re- especially because we're going to get like a, a Bison or something as the the bonus card. So yeah. I would not be shocked if this hit at fifty dollars, especially because they've they've learned that we didn't hesitate on almost anything at forty dollars for foil. So why not goose it up by 10 bucks and see how much more of our money they can drain? Well, more to the point, they, they know what we paid for Stranger Things, and this is a superior property. 
by far. All right. So, yeah, I guess that's the week in review. Where can people find you online? You can find me online at Word of Commander, as well as my Friday articles on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, uh, as well as via my occasional articles for mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of our ProTrader Discord. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Boy, we have some Japanese set booster cases coming in shortly for Neon Dynasty. And some of the people that ordered them are going to get those lottery cards that are basically, I think, sleeves plus a top loader and then a scratch ticket or something that gives you a chance at a 1 in 20 produced signature artist cards. And I think it's Kaito. I'm not uh, sure what they what they Tamio. are, but they're, it's, it's Kaito, they're all awesome. Tamio, and I think the Wandering Emperor is the third one, but I might be mistaken. It might be um, uh, Jin. I have to double check that. Oh. No, 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 no. I know what the third one is. The third one is Satoru, the right. me, the Metal Gear. Yeah, uh, the uh, Bio Box version. version. Yes. So. Tamio, Kaito, Satoru, um, and only 20 of each in the world. So I imagine there's very little chance that any of us will actually win one of them. But uh, should be an exciting unboxing regardless. I'd like to remind you that, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE with the number 5 on it to you at during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh my gosh, James, we made it through another one. Busy, busy week. Thank you so much, Cliff. And we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.